And we have reached the final chapter in our series in Colossians. We are starting in uh, Colossians chapter 4 today, verse 7, which I believe, oh, if my Bible doesn't skip the page, I believe it's page 1184 of these uh, house Bibles. Um, and this is Paul's last greetings. And uh, in it we see that Paul, he's been speaking to the Colossian church who he's never met before, um, but he's been writing this letter. And in verse 18 of chapter 4, he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. In our modern society, we think, well, good for you, Paul. Well done. You've written a letter. Hats off to you. But why does he do that? He does that because he shows that, first of all, he's not an imposter, that it is him himself, Paul, the apostle himself, who is writing this letter to the Colossian church. And secondly, it's because he wants to show this church who he's never met how important, how valued they are to him. He wants to show them that he wants to build relationships with this church and that his story and their story can be knitted together, can be interconnected uh, with himself. And in this passage, Paul mentions six friends uh, that have been journeying with him, that have been helping him uh, through his ministry. And the theme that kept coming back to me as I was preparing this week was the theme of faithfulness. Paul calls them uh, in this passage time and again faithful, trusted, devoted. And they show a number of facets of faithfulness. And faithfulness in modern society maybe isn't the asset it once was. And I'm not going to talk about um, the kind of relationship side of things, but just generally. Jill and I, we've been looking at our household bills, our broadband bills, all those types of bills. And it's so much easier, uh, it's so much easier to get a better deal if you switch than if you stick, isn't it? Uh, you can get so much more money off if you just switch all the time rather than sticking to the same uh, company, the same provider. And they're always keen. It's like, we'll help you. We'll make it as easy as possible to switch. We won't make it as easy as possible to stay. And similarly, in other aspects of life, we can be, it can be so much easier to drift in and out of life and um, in and out of friendships, looking for the better deal, in and out of churches, looking for the benefits. What can I get out? And social media, our world where we're littered with social media, allows us to have those kind of casual friendships. Those uh, We're so connected, but we're so apart all at the same time. But God hasn't called us to be like that. He's not called us um, to be people that just flip from one place to the other, but he's called us to be faithful because he is faithful. We see that in Deuteronomy 7. It says, Know, therefore, that the Lord your God is good. He is a faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations. Psalm 36 says, Your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens, your faithfulness to the skies. And over in my head, when I've been um, preparing for this, uh, on this, this week, I've had that song, that worship song, Remain, which some of you might know, which says, Day after day, your love still remains, faithful and true. You are good. All this week, I've just been, God has been reminding me that he is faithful, he is true, and he is good. And as a church, as believers uh, in Jesus and, and as Christians, we need to be an example of faithfulness to the world. And that's what I want to talk about today, of how as a church can we be that example of faithfulness. And in this passage, Paul urges the church to be faithful in a number of ways. He, he urges them to be faithfully united to be faithful in the darkness and faithful to the end. 
So why don't we read Colossians 4, starting in verse 7. I'll just put this up a little bit just to boost my ego a bit. I'm not as short as people may think. So here we go, Colossians 4. There's lots of uh, big names in here, so do excuse me if I get these wrong. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about your circumstances and that that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling for you in prayer, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Herapolis. Our dear friend Luke the doctor and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the church, to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house as well. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. And tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. I think when I read um, these little parts of Paul's letter and a number of his letters, uh, including to the Romans and other letters that he writes uh, to various churches around the era, he always has this little bit at the end which talks about greetings and talks about other people. And it can be really easy to gloss over these parts. It can seem like it's an acceptance speech for the work already done. He's just like, thanks to you, thanks to you. I couldn't have done it without you guys. Or maybe it feels like uh, it's the credits to a rolling epic of a film that you're just giving credit to the people that helped you get there. But how I was thinking about it this week is almost it's like the credits uh, to one of the Marvel films. Now, I love superhero films, I have to admit. But the Marvel films, what they put in those credits is they have all the names of the people and then suddenly they'll have what they call a sting in the middle. And it'll be a little nugget of uh, the characters talking about setting up the next film or something like that or maybe just a funny thing at the end. But all the idea is just to keep the people watching, keep people uh, listening, staying till the end and seeing what is going to be that post-credit sting. What is going to be the thing, the little nugget that we can take away. And similarly, with this uh, chapter, this verse is here, uh, we want to uh, be pressing in and seeing what are the nuggets that we can take away? What are those little things um, that are in this uh, thanks and greetings that we can take away, that we can apply to our lives? And many of these people Paul has mentioned are loyal and they're faithful, and they're faithfully united towards Paul. They're encouraging him, they're for him, 
and they allow him to be able to do what he does. And sometimes we see Paul as someone who's like the lone ranger. He can do it all by himself. He's just this incredible apostle, but he had a team behind him. And he couldn't have done it without those people there. He had a team who were encouraging him, who were for him. And we see some of these people, like Titus. Paul describes him as a dear brother, as a faithful minister to him and to the Lord. And he's an encourager to all, as it says in verse 8, that he may encourage your hearts. Onesimus, he's also described as a dear and faithful brother. Onesimus was a slave. He was um, not had any credit in the standings in those times. But to Paul, to the kingdom of God, he was a dear and faithful brother. And they've journeyed with Paul. They've stuck with him through all these trials. And Paul is encouraging the church here in Colossae to widen their networks. And he introduces the Colossian church to these faithful believers so that they can be grown, encouraged, and strengthened as the body of Christ. Now, if 2016 has taught us anything... Just a little uh, disclaimer here, not a political statement at all. But if 2016 has brought, taught us anything, it's that the world, the p- opinions are divided, aren't we? We're in a place where people are polarized. And the best way that I can sum that up is Ed Balls last night on Strictly Come Dancing. <laughs> Gangnam style by Ed Balls. People either loved it or they hated it. But we see that in more, kind of more serious matters around the world, that there are people that are, have different opinions and we're at polar opposite ends of the spectrum sometimes. It can easily become an us and them mentality. We've maybe seen that over the last few months. But we, as Christians, are called to be faithful and united to one another and be an example of faithfulness and unity in the world. The preacher to the Pope, Father Raniero Cantalamessa, summed it up like this. He says, the church, what unites us is infinitely greater than what divides us. We need to be united around the core values, the core beliefs of what we all believe. We believe that Jesus came to save the world. We believe that he died for each and every one's sin and that he rose again so that we can be free. We need to be united around that banner. Now, um, I'm a little bit of a history buff. I'm a bit of a geek, to be honest, sometimes. And I I did history um, for... Uh, advanced hire, and I, I was always fascinated. I did it actually as a, a university degree. That probably is Trump's the advanced hire, but never mind. I forgot that for a second. Uh, well, I'm always fascinated by history. I was always fascinated by ancient civilizations, how they worked, what, um, what we learned from those ancient civilizations as well. And one of those uh, civilizations I was uh, fascinated by was the Roman Empire. And um, when I was younger, uh, Gladiator was my favorite film. Uh, Russell Crowe as Maximus. It was just an, a, a fantastic film. I also, as well as doing uh, la- as well as doing history for Advanced Higher, I also did Latin for Advanced Higher because that's how much of a geek I am. And I did s- classical studies in sixth year, which not many people know what that is. But that's basically just uh, kind of line- learning about Greek and Roman uh, culture and history because I was just loving it because I was proper geek. 
And um, they seemed, the Romans particularly, they seemed so far ahead in the technological age. You might ask, what did the Romans do for us, as they ask in Monty Python? Um, but they, they did a number of things. They were the pioneers in the road and infrastructure. Uh, they were pioneers in the calendar. And also, you'll be pleased to hear that the Romans were probably one of the first people groups uh, to work out that they would like to have a flushing toilet and sewer system to which we're all eternally grateful that someone worked that out, that that was a good thing to have that there. But another area they were advanced in was in the military and uh, in their battle formations. And one particular uh, technique that I was fascinated as, um, as, a, as a young man was called the testudo. The testudo. And that sounds really uh, quite fancy until you find out the English name for that, which is tortoise. Um, not quite as fancy then, um, but the idea of this formation was when they were under attack, when the enemy was chucking spears, chucking arrows, they would all line up together with their shields in a packed formation, and they would all stand side by side. All their shields would be aligned all together, and uh, uh, they, the front line would have them all together, side by side. The people behind them would then put their shields in front of the people on top so that their heads didn't get hit by the spears, by the arrows. They would pack that form, formation and then they would go slowly but surely ahead, going towards the enemy. That alignment, that shield, that covering, that they wouldn't be penetrated if their formation was correct. If they came out of that formation, if one person thought, right, I'm going to go for it, I'm going to be the hero, and I'm going to try and attack, then they would um, be penetrated. Then the spears would hit. Then the casualties would come. They would be putting themselves in danger, and also they'd be putting their colleagues, their comrades in danger. And the point is that if we are to be faithful as a church, we need to align ourselves on the same level. We need to um, be getting on together, that we are united in what we believe. We are united in this cause. So who do we need to realign ourselves with? Who are people that maybe we are on a different level to, that we find easy to find fault in, that actually we're struggling in that relationship, that there's a crack in the alignment that maybe we need to rectify? Where are the cracks in those formations? It's not the flashiest thing, but it's that slow and steady that, Bit by bit, they wear down the enemy. They grind down the enemy together. And it can be easy for us sometimes to isolate ourselves, to um, to put us away from others and to find fault. But Paul's vision is for us to be deeply connected, to be interwoven and knitted together to each other. So we need to be faithful in unity to, to ourselves and the sight. We need to be faithful to, to unity in the sites around as well of our uh, seven different sites such as Lawrence Kirk and Gilt Park and Kingswells and also within the wider church in Stonehaven. And I've had the privilege, privilege recently to meet with other pastors in Stonehaven. And we are all working together and praying together that we can be united around the cause of Jesus, that we can show to those who don't come to church currently that the church is for Stonehaven, the church is for this area, and we want to be united around that. We need to do this together. We can't do this alone. John Wesley said that the New Testament knows nothing of solitary religion. Thank you, Mike. That's why we come on a Sunday. That's why we come together. That's why we have small groups, because we know we can't do this alone. And we know that we need to be united. So maybe you struggle um, with relationships. I just want to 
encourage you, to challenge you to think, who do I need to be realigned with? We don't want those cracks appearing. Who do we need to be reunited? And maybe the application for us this morning is to walk across the room, to rebuild that relationship for the sake of God and his kingdom. To be faithful, as an example of faithfulness to the world, we must be fully united as a church. We must also be faithful in the darkness. Another member of Paul's, I like to call it Paul's posse. Um, You could probably think of a different name for that. But Paul's posse, another member of him is Aristarchus, which is a bit of a mouthful. Um, But it says in verse 10 about him, he says, My fellow prisoner sends you his greetings. And Aristarchus, if you read a little bit further into the background of who he is and who he was, he was one of Paul's companions that had been through a lot with him. Uh, He first met Paul in Acts 19. We first meet this person, Aristarchus, in Acts 19. And it's in the riot in Ephesus when people are uh, revolting against Paul and they're saying, no, no, we we don't believe this, we don't want this. Aristarchus is with Paul. He's with him in that dark moment. We also see that the word that Paul uses here for fellow prisoner um, can be translated as one which suggests that he voluntarily became a prisoner to be with Paul, to support him in that darkness. He said, I'm going to go in with you. You've been imprisoned. I will be imprisoned with you as well. In this dark moment, Paul would have been encouraged by the fact that this loyal friend who had been with them on this journey through all the trials and tribulations Paul had faced, that he was with them at this time. Some of you will know that I love a good TV box set. Anyone else love a good TV box set in the house? Yes. Always a good way to unwind. Um, And uh, one of the TV box sets that I've been, um, my lovely wife Jill has got me into is Grey's Anatomy. Does anyone else like Grey's Anatomy? Oh yeah, good. Oh, good. Not just myself. And um, Grey's is a medical drama which evolves around, at the start anyway, no spoilers, I promise, uh, five uh, surgical residents as they start their residency in a hospital in Seattle. Uh, they are George, they are Alex, they are Izzy, they are Meredith and Christina. Uh, and Meredith and Christina is where uh, it focuses around Meredith Gray and Christina Yang. And they start this internship, they start these surgical residencies, and they um, become best friends throughout all the storylines. There's highs, there's lows, new relationships start, Old relationships end, there's challenges, there's traumas, both inside uh, the hospital and outside the hospital. And Meredith and Christina are friends through all, and they help each other along with this little phrase that they come with. Every time it seems like there's no hope, every time it seems like they're just not going to be able to cope anymore, they turn to each other and they say, I'm sure some of you could say it, they say, you are my person. Oh, well done, guys. You are my person. And um, Christina Yang, she um, says that um, she likens it to the fact that if there was a body, uh, who would be the person I would call to get rid of that body? It would be Meredith. She is my person. I would get rid of it. And we don't really want to think of it a bit like that. But it's basically like whatever happens in life, I'll be the first person you can turn to. I'll be the first person to talk you through it. And we'll make it through together. Sometimes they need to remind each other that they are each other's person. Sometimes um, they'll say, you are my person. I'm struggling here. You have to be here for me. And other times they need to uh, reassure the other person that I am here. You are my person. So who is your person? Who is the person that you can 
rely on in that situation? Who can you be real with in your life? Who is the person that when it seems like you're struggling, it seems like everything's falling apart, that you can go to them, confide in them? Could be a spouse, a family member, could be a small group um, or a small group leader. We need people around us to support us and we need to let them do that as well. We don't want to isolate ourselves, but actually we need to say, I need you to be my person. I might struggle with that, but I need you to be my person. And I really encourage you to think about that. But also, I want to say that that's not the end. That's not the end for us. We can have someone who is our person, but we also, we need to take that one step further, don't we? And what Meredith and Christina didn't have, we have, is that we can take all these problems, all these struggles to God. And if you are someone's person, then you can say, I'm going to support you, but I'm also going to pray for you. I'm going to ask God about these things. I'm going to guide you through him and his spirit. We can bring God into the situation. Direct and point them and pray for them and give them guidance. In this passage, we see the example of Epaphras, who we again met at the start of this letter where he um, was a Colossian native who was with Paul. And he probably told Paul about the Colossian church. And how he's described here in this passage is that Epaphras was wrestling for the Colossian church. He was wrestling for the Colossian church in prayer. And the word translated here for that wrestling is a rare word in the Bible, which means agonizing over prayer, almost to the point of pain. Who are we doing that for? Who are we standing in prayer with someone that we're um, agonizing over prayer, that we want breakthrough in that situation? We can't take on those problems that people have. We can't do that alone. We know that. But we can point them to God and to Jesus who can. In 1 Peter 5 it says, Cast all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you. And Matthew 11 says, Come to me, all those who are weary, and I will give you rest. We need to be, as a church, as a community, ready to step into the darkness with people and help them point to God who will guide them out. And there's a warning of this in this passage as well with the character of Demas. He stayed for a while with Paul. He stayed in that community, but then he disappeared. And it says in Timothy that because Demas loved this world, he has deserted me. Is there anyone we know that is in the darkness that can be drawn back? Is there anyone that has been in this family that we need to get around to support, to pray for them, and to ask them to come back into this family. I think of the parable of the lost sheep. that The shepherd went out to that one sheep. That sheep maybe didn't um, go out and did it on deliberately. Maybe they just got lost. That's what it says. That the sheep just got lost. Is there someone in our hearts, in our minds now, that we can think of who are the people that have just got lost? And we need to help bring them back round and to be faithful to them in that darkness. To be an example of faithfulness to the world, we need to be faithfully united, faithful in the darkness, and faithful to the end. The last person that Paul addresses in this passage is called Archippus. And Paul says to him in this phrase in verse 17, this is all he says to Archippus in this moment is, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. 
Now, if I was Archippus in this moment, I would almost be thinking of like, it was like a congratulatory line that all these people were getting commended. And Paul was going up to being like, oh yeah, Aristarchus, you're my buddy. You're awesome. Good job, mate. He was going up to Epaphras and he was like, this guy, this guy is amazing. Hang out with him. And Archippus was like, oh, I'm last in the line. Oh, I wonder what the commendation Paul's going to give me. And then Paul like just comes along. He gets to Archippus. Archippus is like, right, this is when I'm going to get bigged up. And all Paul says is he says, finish what you've started. Finish what you've started. That's all he says. And if I was Archippus, I'd be like, what? Gosh, everyone else has had this really good moment with you. And that's not fair. I have been told to do my job. And Paul at that moment, I imagine, would say exactly. Exactly. I want you to do the job that God has called you to do. I'm reminding you to finish that work, to be faithful to the end. For some of you, uh, you might have been aware uh, of a recent um, long wait for a championship of some kind in the sporting arena that um, finished. It was the Chicago Cubs who for 108 years were waiting between World Series to win. And it was, uh, they won it in 1907, they won it in 1908, and then finally after 108 years, they won it again in 2016. And it was regarded as the longest losing streak in history. (laughs) Yeah, they were really chuffed about that when they got called it the longest losing streak in history. And some people would have put it down to the fact that in 1945, uh, a shopkeeper called Billy Cyanus um, had a goat that came to the stadium to watch one of the games. Um, he was asked for that goat to leave because it was a bit smelly. And then it was apparently that he said that he cursed them as he walked out and said that the Cubs will never win a World Series again. And for all that time, they thought they were under this curse, under this thing that they were never going to win. But finally, they came from 3-1 down uh, to win the best of seven ga- series game 4-3. And... For the first time in 108 years, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Now it goes on to the people they beat, the Cleveland Indians, they haven't won in 71 years. So hopefully that will end soon. But the story about that, the thing that struck me was that there was one person that they focused on in this story. And it was a lovely 108-year-old lady called Mabel Ball. Now Mabel was born two months before the Cubs in her native Chicago won the World Series in 1908. And then, finally, after 108 years of waiting of Mabel's life, the Cubs won again. And all the kind of newspapers had uh, this moment where you had Mabel on her left-hand side having the newspaper article from the first year when they won it, 1908, and then the newspaper article of 2016 when they won it again. And through that interview, Mabel said that I knew that the sun was going to come up again. No matter what, I knew that hope would always rise again. You maybe have given a dream by God. You maybe have given something that you feel, that is incredibly tough, I can't do that. Or that you may have been slogging away at something for a while and feeling like I'm getting nowhere. We need to be faithful to the end. We need to finish the work that God has called us to finish. The example of Mark in this story shows that. Mark followed Paul for a while, and then he went away, and then he fell out with Paul, and Paul said, I can't use him. 
in this ministry. This is Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. But Barnabas, Paul's great companion, got alongside Mark. He was able to reconcile with Paul. And in the end, he was able to go back to Paul. And we see again in a scripture in 2 Timothy, it says, Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Paul and Mark were able to be reconciled. Mark was able to finish the work that he had started. We see that in Jesus as well. He was faithful in the Garden of Gethsemane. He was saying, I don't want to do this, Lord. But he also said, not my will, but your will. Also, when he was on the cross, when he was uh, buried, it would have seemed like it was never going to happen. But on the third day, he rose again. He died for you and me. He rose again so that we could be free within him again. We could have that relationship with God that was was um, uh, disconnected there. We believe in comebacks. We believe in second chances. We believe in third, fourth, unlimited chances because we have a God who gives you and me those chances. So what has God put on your heart that maybe you thought, oh yeah, I'll get onto that. I'll do that at some point. What do we need to complete? What is the thing that he's saying to us to finish the work? If we are to be an example of faithfulness to this world, We need to be faithfully united together. We need to be faithful in the dark times for one another. And we need to be faithful to the end for God and his mission. Why don't we stand?